What I'm about to say is, may very well be uh, controversial, and I don't want to stir up controversy in the congregation, but there are sometimes when there are things you must address. I think that, oh brother, where art thou? It may well be the greatest movie ever made in the history of movie making. You may disagree. And that is your right. It's always your right to be wrong. But uh, for those of you who aren't familiar or who have forgot, uh, it's uh, something of a less profound riff on Homer's Odyssey, said in 1938, Mississippi, in which the protagonist, Ulysses Everett McGill, is making his way back uh, to his hometown to hopefully uh, be reconciled to his estranged wife, Penny. And if you're familiar with uh, Odyssey, you already pick up on some names and things that are going on. And, and uh, he finally gets there after all sorts of trials and mishaps and everything that takes place and uh, to discover that Penny has a suitor, and he's, uh, he's walking along with his children, and they're talking about the suitor. And uh, the eldest daughter tells him, Mama says he's bona fide. So, I'm working on my son, or trying to work on this text, trying to figure out what in the world I'm going to say. And, uh, and Josh is working on the bulletin, and we're exchanging texts and emails. And uh, I get this email or text and it's from Josh, and he says, I have a title for your sermon. He's bona fide. And I'm sitting there and I said, that's not a title for the sermon. Although it is, you can write it in there if you will. We didn't think to print it in the bulletin, but that is the title. But, but I thought, that's not the title. That's the sermon. <laughs> that's everything I want to say in, in, in two words. That said... Let's look at the the passage from which all that will come. Third chapter of Luke, the 21st verse. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, With you I am well pleased. In verse 23, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, and then follows the genealogy uh, of Joseph. Uh, And we'll skip over that for time's sake and because I probably can't pronounce half of those names. But uh, come to verse 38 the son of Enos, the son of Seth, 
the son of Adam, the son of God. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you that you have spoken and you have spoken clearly to us in your son Jesus and in this written word. We pray this morning that by your spirit, you will open us to both and uh, apply this word to us and uh, grant us your grace for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, if you don't know anything else, somehow you just walked in off the street and don't know anything else about Jesus Christ. Or if you know all sorts of things about Jesus Christ, I want you to leave here this morning with these words buzzing in your ears, ringing in your ears, burning in your mind and your heart. He's bona fide. But before we get to all that, another sort of side trip. First, look at these three words. Look at verse 21, the first verse up there, if you're looking at the... uh, on the bulletin or in your Bible, the first verse of our text. It says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, I want you to you know, just grab these three words. Jesus was praying. Which brings us to Newton's third law of motion. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. It's the law of cause and effect. Jesus was praying. He was a model for Paul's words that we are to, or or admonition that we are to pray without ceasing. He was constantly praying. Luke records throughout his gospel prayers of Jesus. He he records his going off to pray alone. He records his praying all night. Jesus uh, prayed before he was choosing, before he chose and and called the apostles. He prayed before he healed a, a, a boy. He was praying in the garden before he was betrayed. Do you remember there, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Uh, He prayed for his crucifiers. Father, forgive them. They they don't know what they're doing. And his last words on the cross were a prayer. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Mark these words. Seriously, literally, mark these words, either they're in the bulletin or in your Bible or whatever you got. Mark them with pencil, mark them with a pen, mark them with a marker or crayon, blood, whatever you got. When Jesus was praying, the heavens were opened. Cause and effect. And what I want to say about that is that when you 
in Jesus, in the name of Jesus, pray the heavens open as well. And you are ushered into the presence of the holy, perfect, omniscient, omnipotent, unchanging, unchangeable, infinite, ineffable, majestic creator and ruler and judge of everything and everyone, whose face no one can see except they die, who's seated indeed enthroned in majesty and glory, surrounded by the glorious holy angels who are crying out praises back and forth to him, you enter into the throne room of the living God. And you say, Dad, it's me. Abba, Father, the prodigal is home. Is that not our prayer life? And we say that and do that. And we can say that and do that because of Jesus. He's bona fide God. He was attested to by what occurred at his baptism. Now, the baptism is, if you will, the circumstantial, chronological context of everything, this first part of what we're talking about. Uh, By baptism, Jesus identified with you and me. He had no sin. He had nothing to repent of. He was perfect. He was spotless. But he submitted to baptism in unity with you and me in our sin. Matthew records the baptism in a little more detail than than did Luke. Jesus came, this is the edited version, Jesus came to John to be baptized. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. It was at the baptism that Jesus dedicated himself, if you will, to his work of salvation. This was the inauguration of his public ministry. But he had to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness so that you and I might be able to say with Paul, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might be made the righteousness of God. And there he was anointed with the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, identified, initiated, installed as the Christ, the Messiah, 
Greek and Hebrew for anointed one. The Holy Spirit empowered him for what he had come to be and to do. Remember we said last week that water baptism is ritual. Not merely ritual, but it's ritual. Holy Spirit baptism, on the other hand, is real. It's real. Everything Jesus did in his ministry was the fruit of, the result of, the working out of the Spirit's anointing of him. Evidence of the Spirit's presence within him. He was affirmed the second member of the eternal triune Godhead. He wasn't made God the Son. He was God the Son. And God the Father affirmed him as such. The Father confirmed the promise the angel made to Mary. Remember that her son would be called the Son of the Most High. The Son of God. God the Father said, this is my Son. In you I am well pleased. And then a few chapters later, in chapter 9 of Luke, God, God repeats that. He repeated his affirmation at the transfiguration. Jesus, along with Peter and John and James, again edited version, went up on the mountain to pray. And as Jesus was praying, you hear that? You get it? As Jesus was praying, something happened. The appearance of his face was altered. His clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking to him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. A cloud came and overshadowed them. And the voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. If you look at the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, you find that that they also record both uh, the affirmation and, if you will, the reaffirmation or both affirmations of the Son of God as the second person of the Trinity. And then you go to the fourth Gospel, and there the Apostle John adds that John, the forerunner, bore witness. I saw the Spirit, John the forerunner said, descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Jesus was attested, he was anointed, He was affirmed Son of God. God Himself. He's bona fide. And He's on your side. He's bona fide man. Years ago, I don't know how many years ago, uh, I went with my family to Moultrie, Georgia, visited two elderly spinsters. I start to say old maids. I'm not supposed to say that. Elderly spinsters in our family. 
uh, some kin. They were either my great-great-aunts or they were older cousins of my grandmother. I don't know. They lived in the family home. They had never married. They lived in the family home there in Moultrie, and it's exactly what you're probably picturing, this big old white house, frame house. And uh, they were concerned about all the daughters in the family line. They just spent their days in doing genealogical research. And, uh, and so that the daughters in the family could be proven bona fide uh, candidates or prospects for membership in the Daughters of the American Revolution. They lived for that. <laughs> and uh, years ago, when, when Elizabeth was born, our daughter, I get this packet from an older cousin of mine. I know it was that that came in the mail, this big envelope, and it's, it's full of copies of court documents, of, of all manner of records, birth records, and all this, proving that one of our ancestors got here in 1632, and that his subsequent uh, progeny, somewhere down the line, fought in the revolutionary battle on the revolutionary side, were members of the revolutionary army. And thus, my daughter is eligible for DAR membership. If you knew my daughter, you would know how funny that is. But anyway, it's there. I've got it somewhere, if I can find it at the house, that big envelope covered with dust, I'm sure now, with all, all of this information. And it does make for interesting reading and all that, but it also proves some things if the proving needs to be done. Yes, Elizabeth is a bona fide prospect in that regard uh, for such membership. Well, Luke and Matthew both record genealogies of Jesus. They differ at points, and there are explanations for those, legitimate explanations for those, those differences. They, they witness to Jesus' humanity, even though, strictly speaking, they're not Jesus' genealogies. They're labeled that, but they're not. They're, they're those, the, the genealogy of Joseph. But who was his legal, social, and adoptive father? They say that Jesus was bona fide man. A bona fide man, born of a woman, flesh and blood. He hungered. He thirsted. He got tired. He cut him, he bled. He felt pain. He wept. He got angry. He was tempted, just like you and just like me. In chapter 2, we looked at, at his development and from from birth to child to, uh, to infancy to, to childhood to if there was such a thing in first century uh, first century Israel or anywhere else in the first century adolescence into adulthood to everyone around him he was obviously a man they, no one questioned that 
They didn't crucify him because he was a man. They crucified him because he claimed to be God. Everybody knew he was a man. To them, he was obviously a bona fide man. But he's not just a bona fide man. He's the bona fide man. Luke's genealogy is unique in that it goes back all the way to Adam. says that Adam is the son of God in a, in a wholly different sense from the way that Jesus is the son of God. But it links the two. And according to Paul, later, Jesus was both second and last Adam. Thus it is written, Paul wrote, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Jesus is the perfect, true, genuine man who filled all of his father's demands upon humankind, unlike our forefather Adam, unlike the first man. And therefore, therefore, because he's bona fide God and bona fide man, he's the bona fide Savior. It can be said of all of us, as God said through Hosea the prophet, like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. They were faithless. They dealt faithlessly with me. It can be said of every human being on the earth. But Jesus didn't. He didn't transgress the covenant. He didn't act faithlessly. He lived the one perfect life ever lived so he could offer the one acceptable sacrifice ever made. He was perfectly faithful. And he was so in your and my place. For your and my sin. For your and my salvation. So wrote Paul again. For if many died through one man's trespass, Adam's, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of the one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. By his incarnation, his life, his death and resurrection, 
Jesus brings bona fide salvation. He offers it to you this morning.